Welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. That believe like you believe and love Jesus, hopefully as much, maybe even meal again and again until the master returns. (laughs) You must never let familiarity breed contempt. And, you know, as I was thinking about that and the fact that the Lord, you know, spoke to me, and I really felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, just tell them what communion is. I felt like what he was saying is, look, you can't let the simplicity of the message of communion and what it represents become old to you. You need to just tell them what it is and let it come alive on the inside of them. And I've always said this, as a matter of fact, if it's old to you, it's not living truth anymore. It's just head knowledge. But if, it's, but if it's alive and vibrant in you, then it's living truth. It's something that's impacting your life. And so, you know, I believe we should embrace the familiarity of the communion table and what it represents instead of being like, oh, it's communion again, right? Because sometimes that can happen in us. Just did it three months ago, communion again. I'm grateful for Jesus, but, you know, I'm looking for something fresh and new, right? Um, but we need to let the fact that it is familiar and the fact that that verse says you're going to be drawn back to this again and again lets me know that there's something good that happens and looking at the simplicity of what you already know and seeing it again there's something good that happens right one of the things that lets you know is simply this that if you don't need something new that if you just or if you're going to be drawn back to this truth again then this truth is more than enough for what you need right You know, so many times for believers what happens, and so many times just as human beings, when we're going through a difficult problem, we start looking for answers, new answers. We start looking for new ways to address the problem, a new revelation, a new thing I haven't done, a new thing I don't understand, and it's always good to learn new things. But i got to tell you, what this verse tells me is that Knowing the truth of the communion table and what it represents is more than enough to get you through anything you're facing. You don't need anything new. So the good news about that this morning is simply this. You don't need a new revelation this morning. You just need this to come alive again. And so, uh, and so Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. He said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. So he said, I didn't come to you with these flowery things, and I didn't come to you with some new revelation. He said, but I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. So I'm sure he was like, man, this is pretty simple. i got to tell these people this again, and, you know, I wonder how they're going to respond to this. That's sort of what he's saying there. And he says, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. You know, that's a pretty powerful statement because what he said was this. I didn't try to dress it up. I didn't try to hype it up. I didn't try to come up with something new. I just told you about Jesus and him crucified, and because I did that, the Holy Spirit showed up and did something I couldn't do right he said he delivered to you the demonstration of the spirit and in power that your faith right should not stand be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God what he said was this he says I don't want your faith resting in the wisdom of an argument I don't want your faith resting in the wisdom of a theology I want your faith resting in the reality of a relationship 
a reality of something that's been made real to you by the very presence of God, the one who worked with the, the, the Father God and Jesus to create all that we see. I want you to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so what he was saying is that, that simple truth of Jesus and him crucified is more than enough for all of us. And so in those moments when we feel lacking, we need to be brought back to the communion table again and again again and again. If you're facing a situation right now and you're like, I don't know what I need. Yeah, you do know what you need. You just need it to come alive in you again. <laughs> Honestly, you just need it to come alive in you again. And so today what I want to do is I want to bring you back to this meal again. At the end of the service, we're going to partake of this. For anybody that's here, you don't have to be a member of our church to partake. You just have to believe in Jesus and have accepted him as your Lord. And if you've done that, you qualify for the communion table. And so I want to bring you back and remind you of what this symbolizes. Why? So that after I've told you about Jesus and him crucified, it can come alive in you and the Spirit of God can demonstrate in your life as he needs to. Amen? Amen. And so the first thing we need to recognize about the communion table is this. It's a meal that needs to be consumed. <laughs> now, I don't mean it's a meal that needs to be consumed like you sit down for uh, lunch after church. I mean, you've got some plans for lunch after church today. Maybe good plans. I'm going to go uh, cook a London broil on my own grill, and that's going to be a lot of fun. So I hope I made you hungry. I promise I'll get you out here in time to satisfy that hunger. But, you know, uh, the, the communion table is a meal that needs to be consumed. And what I mean by that is, is more than the physical elements that we partake of, it is something that we have to, that it represents, that we have to take into our spirits. It's a spiritual meal that needs to be digested. Beyond the physical aspect of consuming these elements, there's a spiritual thing that can take place in us if we partake of it as a spiritual meal. Not just an ordinance, not just something we do, not just something we do on Family Sunday, not just a ritual you go through if you're a believer, but there's actually something that transpires. Because why would God have you do this? Just to do it? No, he wouldn't have you do it just to do it. Why? Because he set us free from that already. That was a part of the old covenant way of living, right? Doing things just to do it, right? Rituals and... But why did he have us do it then? Because there's something spiritual that can take place in us. And so part of, the com of communion is truly taking yourself to a place where you don't just take the element, take the bread, pray, and say, thank you, Jesus. But you think about and you digest what you're doing. You know, allow the, words, allow the words that we just read in our opening text to drip from the lips of the Master as if he was standing before you saying these words. 1 Corinthians 11, 24 and 25, Jesus said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. We should remember that when we're partaking of the communion table this morning, that Jesus, our high priest, is actually the one serving it to us. He is the one bringing that communion cup to us. He is the one that's bringing that bread to us and saying, this represents something I did for you. He, notice he said, take, eat. He said, take it into yourself, consume it. Not so much the bread. You know, those are just elements. Those are physical things. You know, there's some people who believe they turn into these things. You know, the, that's, you know, it's just hocus pocus stuff. They're wafers and they represent something. But they do represent something spiritually that you do take into you, right? And Jesus was saying, take eat of this. He was saying, listen, I lovingly prepared this meal for you. 
I got to tell you, when my mama was living, if she prepared a meal and I didn't eat the meal, she would be offended by that, right? Or if I just came in and said, I'll just have some real quick and I'll leave, that would offend. Why? Because she worked hard for that meal. And what this is saying is, is that Jesus, Jesus is saying, I want you to partake of this because I toiled, I sweated, I labored, I suffered, I was passionate about what I went through, right? I did this for you. So he says, I want you to partake of this meal. So in essence, we really need to be, as we are partaking of the communion table, what I would call spiritual connoisseurs. You know what a connoisseur is, right? Connoisseur is someone that, in, that really is a, a food expert, right? They, 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 they partake of the food, you know, and that connoisseur, when they partake of the food, they, they don't just eat it. How many, how many Marines we got in here? Anybody got any Marines in here? Any at all? There's one right there. Well, let's give Bev a hand for being a Marine for us. Amen. So Bev will understand what I mean when I say this, and most of you will probably have heard stories, so you'll know as well, but I know Bev will know this. When you partake of the communion table, you don't partake of it like a Marine that's trying to finish his lunch at lunchtime. Why? Because a Marine had a set point of time. They set it down and you eat it as quick as you could, right? Because you're up and out and again, right? And if you ain't up and out again, you're in big trouble. As a spiritual connoisseur, we don't partake of the Lord's table quickly and, and rush through it. What we do is we digest it. We consume what it means to us. We, we, we actually allow that morsel of, uh, of the bread and that, that, that sip of the cup to remind us of what this represents, which really leads me to what I want to focus on today. What does the communion table truly represent? Well, I'll tell you in a nutshell, I told you up front, it represents Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Plain and simple, it represents that. And we're to be brought back to the reminder of that again and again and again and not let the familiarity of it cause us to disdain it. And so what does the communion table provide for us? Well, the first thing it provides for us is the, the opportunity to remember that his body was broken for us. Look at your neighbor and say, his body was broken for me. See, sometimes when we say his body was broken for us, we lose the personal touch of it. His body was broken for you. Jesus said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four 24, again, he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He said, I want you to remember that my body was broken for you. So how, how about we do that this morning? Can I read a portion of scripture that talks about when his body was broken? Is it okay to read the Bible in church this morning? First, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 5. And, and what I've done here, you'll see in the brackets, these brackets are the actual Greek translation of what these English words are. These is just the literal meaning. Sort of in Bel helps us understand great, more greatly <coughs> what, what the Scripture's saying here. And so Isaiah 53 and verse 1 says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is, no, or there is no appearance of beauty that we should desire him. So what he's talking about is when Jesus was crucified, it was not a sight you wanted to behold. When Jesus was whipped at the whipping post, it was not something you wanted to look on. It was that, you know, how many of you realize, you're right, I said it last week, you ride by a car wreck, everybody says, don't look, what's the first thing you do? You look, right? This is one of those train wrecks that you want to look away from. 
It says in verse 2, for, it says in verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. That word sorrows means pains, a man of pains. Well, how many of you know when we read the stories of Jesus walking on the earth and serving as a man, we hear nothing about pain he experienced, right? He never says Jesus was sick, never said he had any pain. So when did he suffer it? At the cross, right? You need to always remember this, that what you see in the Gospels before Jesus got to the cross is your example of how you should live. What Jesus did on the cross is his substitute of what you don't need to receive. You always need to remember that. And so what this says is he was despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows or pains, and acquainted with grief. Now, that, if you look that up in the margin of your Bible, if you have one of these Bibles, that word grief actually is sicknesses. He was a man of sicknesses. But we never hear about Jesus being sick. When was he sick? When did he become? When he hung on the cross. Became a substitute for us. And we hid, as it were, our face from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, there it is again, our sicknesses, and carried our sorrows, our pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded or pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our punishment for our peace, our, that word peace means complete soundness, welfare, health, prosperity, peace, tranquility, and contentment. All of those definitions you can find in a Strong's Concordance. It says, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes or his blows that cut into him, we are healed. And that word healed means to be literally, physically healed. If you look at it, it says physically, literally healed. That's what it says. So, so Jesus became these things for us, and when he said, this is my body that is broken for you, what he was saying was his physical body took punishment that satisfied the claims of spiritual justice so that he could remove these negative things that we just read about from our lives, so that we could live and overcome them in our lives. Broken to free us from our transgressions, is what it says. What's a transgression? Transgression is a sin. It's an actual act that you do that is contrary to the will of God. And the Bible says that he was broken to free us from that sinful, those sinful acts. But then it goes on to say he was bruised to free us from our iniquities. See, an iniquity is different than, a, than, a, than a, 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 a sin that we do. An iniquity is something that is in man that has not accepted Christ. A man that has not accepted Christ has a sinful nature on the inside of him that drives him. Now, we all have a flesh, even as believers, we have flesh that will cause us to want to disobey God at times. You ever been a believer and somebody made you mad and you want to punch him in the face? That's your flesh. Look at your neighbor and say, that ain't the real me. Now, I'll tell you, if you follow through and do it, that's the real you punching them. And you may go to jail for that, right? But we all, as believers, have a flesh that we have to deal with until Jesus returns. But what this, is, this iniquity is talking about is the very nature of man. He was bruised to change the human nature to a godly nature. Whew, we're going to talk about that in a minute. The chastisement to free us from incompleteness and lack of soundness and sickness and poverty and worry and dissatisfaction. He took that upon him. We may not be living free from that at the moment, but when that truth becomes real to us and we allow it to dominate our heart, our belief, and our thinking, it will, it will gradually change our life to reflect what it is he came to give us. He says the chastisement to free us from incompleteness he took from us and the blows that cut into his skin as it says right that cut into him they were there to provide our healing 
And that word, that word healing actually means physical, literal healing. If you're sick today, you can trust God to be free from that. Do we always succeed? Does we always overcome? We're imperfect humans. No, but that doesn't mean just because I don't succeed, it's not the will of God for me to be healed. How many of you realize that it's the will of God for you to walk in love? But how come you, you don't walk in love all the time, right? Well, does that mean that it's not the will of God for you to walk in love? No, just because we as human beings don't measure up to the standard of perfection doesn't mean it's not God's will. I can tell you right now, it's the will of God on every, for everyone in the planet to be healed and to live their life to the fullest. Amen. Why else would we fight it so hard? Why else would we have hospitals and doctors and all? Why? Because we all know within us it's an enemy, right? And God, Jesus came to help us be free from that. His body took the punishment due us for our transgressions and sinfulness to free us from the consequences of that sin. So his body was broken for us. As you partake this morning, allow consume that meal don't just think about it consume it as you partake of that bread realize you're taking into yourself the fact that you agree with the truth that his body was broken to set me free from the things that I need to be free from and I desire to be free from amen amen not only that but his body not only took punishment for us because what the beatings were and the whippings were and all of that was and the cross was it was a form of spiritual punishment for sin He took our punishment. But in taking our punishment, he also shed his blood for us. And in shedding his blood for us, his blood provided something different, right? The the beatings provided the punishment, but his blood provided something else. His blood was spotless, it was pure. It was perfect and, and just blood that was spilled unjustly. And it purchased something for us. Jesus told us clearly what it was. Hear the words of the master saying these words this morning in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. 25. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often you drink it in remembrance of me. He said, this cup purchases something. It purchases a new covenant. Everybody say a new covenant. What's a new covenant? The word covenant means agreement, right? You know, and, and what a covenant is, is an agreement between, you know, organizations or individuals. And Jesus said, this cup represents a new covenant. So what that tells me is before he spilt his blood, there was an old agreement between God and man. And Jesus said, in my shedding my blood, I'm going to bring you a new agreement between God and man. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, before Jesus ever came, we find Jeremiah prophesying and telling us and sort of alluding to the old covenant, but telling us what the new covenant would be. In verse 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, I'll stop there for a moment because some people say, yeah, that's a covenant with Israel and a covenant with Judah. Well, how many of you believe, uh, how many of you know this, that uh, Israel and Judah all came from Abraham, right? If you don't know that, genealogy of the Bible, Abraham begat the 12 tribes of Israel, and Judah and Israel were two of them, and so all of those were descendants of Abraham, right? And the Bible says that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become children of Abraham, and we become heirs of the very same promises that he has. So, these verses are not just for Judah and Israel. These, this new covenant is also for you as a child of Abraham and a child of God. Can I get an Amen. All right, verse 32. He said, here's the new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them out of, by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke, though 
I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So he says, it's not going to be like that old covenant. Well, what was the old covenant? Remember the covenant God made with Israel, Moses? How many of you remember the old Ten Commandment movie? Right? They still show it to this day. Moses goes up on the Mount Sinai. God shows up, you know, and I don't know if it's exactly like that, but that was, you know, the depiction of it at the time, right? And he burns, you know, uh, these rules into these commands, and he says, here's the, here's the covenant I'm going to make between you and this nation. The covenant is this, is if you do this, then you'll get this. Basically, it was a covenant of laws and regulations that if you followed those laws and regulations, God would, could bless you, Right? But if you didn't follow those laws and covenants, if you read through it, it says these curses will come upon you. And so the old agreement between God and the nation of Israel was, a, was an agreement of if you do this, then you get this. You know, that's where most people live today. You ask some people why they're going to heaven, and they'll say, because I was a good person. A good person is living under an old, you're trying to live up to a standard. But how many of you realize the scripture tells us we've all sinned, we've all come short of the glory of God. We can't live up to his standard of perfection. So the old covenant was only given to show man his imperfection. It says that in Galatians, to show man his need for something more, for a different agreement between God and man. And here we go, we're about to find out what that new agreement is. It says, but this covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here it comes. I will put my law in their minds and inscribe it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will each man teach his neighbor or his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities and remember their sins no more. See, the new agreement that God had is no longer a bunch of rules and regulations on a tablet that you've got to live up to. What the new agreement with God was is this, is that he was going to put his laws into their hearts. Right? And so what we find here is that the old covenant was a vivid, uh, what we find here is that, Jesus, is that, God, that Jeremiah was saying that this new covenant is going to conclude some things. It's going to include his laws in your heart and in your mind. It's going to include your sins being forgiven and re remembered no more. And so what I want to do just for the remainder of the few minutes I've got left is I want to talk to you real briefly about the three elements of this new covenant that this cup that you're going to partake of represents. Hopefully so that the Spirit of God will bring it alive in you again. And it's not just a ritual we go through. First of all, we need to understand that one of the elements of the new covenant is, is a covenant that changed us from the inside out. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... What does that mean? If any man acknowledges that he died on that cross and shed his blood to bring a new agreement between God and man, if any man does that, he's in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So part of this new covenant is you accepting that, that Christ, what Christ did for you and becoming new on the inside. What do I mean, new on the inside? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24 says, This new man, so this part coming new, right? Was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So what that verse of scripture says is, is that when you accept Christ and become a new creature, God doesn't just change, God doesn't just forgive your sins. 
He comes, to, he comes to actually change you on the inside and make you after His very nature. So that His, as He said in Jeremiah, His laws are now written in your heart. You're not outwardly trying to do something. Your very nature on the inside wants to do it. You, you know how a believer, you know that's how... How many of you ever done something wrong as a believer and felt bad about it? The fact that you did something wrong is not saying you're not a believer. The fact that you feel bad about it is saying you are a believer. Right? Because the nature on the inside of you now is leading you to do right. Sometimes we fail in that endeavor, but the reality is, the beauty of the new covenant is, is that He made us new and placed His nature on the inside of us so that no longer are we a sinful man driven by sin, but we're a child of God driven by love. That's the difference in us. Now we're changed to reflect who God is to the world around us. We're changed to be something unique. We're changed to be something different. Yes, we're changed so that we can receive all the promises of God, but we're also changed to reflect the nature of God. To not live by selfishness and greed and me first, but to live by a mindset that says, I want to be like Jesus. I want to lay down my life. I want to bless people. I want to help people. I want to be a blessing. To my family, I don't want to argue about what they're not doing for me. I want to find out what I can do for them. And if two fa all family members will do that, you'll, as I always say, you'll be as happy as two big pigs in a bucket of poop. See, the answer is not counseling and drawing your lines and demanding your rights. That is not the answer to a blissful, godly marriage. The answer is embracing the nature of Christ and both of you being givers to the need of the other and recognizing and caring enough about them to say, what is their need? I want to bless them. Instead of fighting for what your need is. Right? That's the difference of, of, of what the new covenant brings us. Another, another attribute of the new covenant is not only are we new, but here's, the, here's another beautiful thing. Another trait of this new covenant is now not only is, are we like God, but not only that, but now God lives in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, For you are the temple of the living God, the living God, the living God. Not a relic, not a theory, not some idea. You are the temple of a living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I, I'm so glad he says it this way because it's vivid. It is the attributes of a personality moving in us. He says, I will dwell in them, I will walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people because of the blood of Jesus and that new covenant he purchased with us. The God of all creation has come to make his home in each of us. Man, that's a powerful thing to think about. I mean, we made our minds really struggle to grasp it sometimes. The God who spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light, lives on the inside of me. You know, we can shout about that because 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So it certainly gives us a power that is greater in the world so that we can overcome. But here's the more beautiful thing about that. It gives us an intimacy with God that man never had. See, I believe that him coming to live in us is less about making us overcomers and more about making us close with him. And when we make ourselves close to Him, we naturally overcome. 
So the beauty of the new covenant that we're partaking of this morning, and when we drink that cup and he says, this is my blood that represents a new covenant, we're taking into ourselves the reality that God isn't distant from me. He lives in me. Why is it so important? Because that satisfies. That satisfies the reason for which you were created. I always say this, you were created to be loved by God. He created you because he wanted to love you. Some would say we're created to glorify God, and we are to glorify God. But glorifying God comes from allowing him to love you first comes from allowing you to understand that God lives in me and him, him affecting me and Him changing me so that I live a life that exemplifies who He is that lives in me, right? So we always say that around here. Our purpose is to be loved by God and allow Him to love others through us. That's, that's the purpose. You know, we all may have individual specific purposes, but the overall purpose for every human being is to come to a place where they know God and He loves them. Because God is a God of love. Because of the, new, uh, the, the, the blood of Jesus, we have this level of intimacy with God. So that, so that Jesus Christ, as Paul said, and him crucified is not a, 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 a catchphrase, but it produces something in us. It produces a demonstration of the Spirit moving. What does that mean? It produces a very real tangible thing in our life. Not a theory, not a belief. Not a dogma that we hold to, but it produces a very real thing in our life so that the song, you know, how many of you heard the song, He Touched Me? He touched me, oh, He touched me, and all the joy that floods my soul. Something wonderful happened, and now I know He touched me. So that that becomes a reality to us. So that it's not just a thought, but I mean, as we partake, you know, it, coming back to that table again and again and again gives me the opportunity to realign myself to that truth that this is real. I believe that he lives in me and allows my belief in, in, in that truth, uh, uh, an avenue through which he can actually demonstrate and make himself real to me. I believe this morning there is some reality about to take place in the lives of people that will embrace this and partake with this mindset final trait of the new covenant is simply this our sins are remembered no more we read it there in Jeremiah you may remember your sins and the devil may try to remind you of your sins but God says I don't remember them Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12 through 17 says but this man Jesus aren't you grateful for Jesus but this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. That's very specific the way that's said. It says at one moment in time, he offered his, uh, his blood for sins forever. He sat down at the right hand of God, for by one offering, notice this, now this is talking about you if you believe in Jesus. For by one offering, he has perfected Forever. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm perfect. You may not be on the outside, but in your spirit, where God has placed his nature, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. 
Now that's really important to understand that. Just because He's made you perfect doesn't mean you're walking it out in perfection yet, right? If you ain't walking it out in perfection yet, hopefully you're working on it. And you working on it and yielding to God and getting better at walking out the perfection that He's placed in you is a process called sanctification. Right? That's an ongoing process for every day we live on this planet. But being made born a born-again child of God and Him placing within you something and Him blotting out your sins and forgiving you and from not remembering them, that's a one-time thing He did when Jesus died on the cross and shed His blood for us. What that means is this. Every sin we have, you ready for this? Are or ever will commit has already been forgiven by that one sacrifice that Jesus paid for us. That means that right now, because of the blood of Jesus, God sees you as righteous, sinless, and holy. Not because you may have perfected the sanctification process yet, but because He's made a righteous choice to not remember your sin because of what Jesus did for us. Man, i got to tell you, that's worth shouting and running five laps around this building about. Why? Because I, God doesn't see me as sinful. We've been preached to in churches across America countless times. We're just sinners saved by grace. But what this says is as God has perfected me. Yeah, I'm not sanctified yet. Yeah, I'm walking it out. But when my Father looks at me, He has chosen not to look upon my sin. He remembers it no more. Now, does that mean we live in perfect holiness and perfection? Well, if you live in my house, you'll recognize I don't. And all my kids said, amen, he gets mad at us sometimes. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't still see me through the blood of Jesus because I'm putting faith in that blood as holy. Notice what it says in 1 John chapter 1, we see this. It says, if we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, what is he saying there? If we deny that there is a process of sanctification going on in our lives, if we deny that, well, then the truth ain't in us. Because if you live with somebody very long, you know they ain't perfect. You just know it, right? They burp and do all sorts of other crazy things that ain't perfect, right? <laughs> right? So we know that you, they, they're not perfect, and that's what he's saying here. He's saying if you say that you're perfect, right, in that sense of the word, that you, you, you never make a mistake, that you never sin, you never falter, you never fall, there ain't no truth in us. Verse 10 says it again. If we say we have not sinned and we make, a, we make him a liar and his word is not in us, right? But verse 9 tells us something else. But even though in spite of the sanctification process going on, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just. What is he faithful and just to do? Who is he faithful and just to? Well, certainly faithful and just to us, but even more so, he's faithful and just to Jesus. Because how I many of you know Jesus laid down his life to forgive your sins? So when you come to God for the forgiveness of your sins, when you come to him and you've messed up and say, well, I've messed up, He's saying, i got to be faithful and just to what he did 2,000 years ago so I don't remember what you're talking about. So why do we need to confess our sins? Why do we need to come to God? Why does that verse even there? I'll tell you why. Because you need to be reminded of the truth that he remembers your sins no more. See, when we sin, I said it already, how many of you ever done something wrong in your life and you felt bad about it? Well, I can tell you this. 
the proper understanding of Scripture is when you feel bad about it, it's not God condemning you. And it's not God saying, oh, you shouldn't have done that. It's not. It's the nature He's placed within you. It's your heart condemning you. And when your heart condemns you and we are called to come back to a place of confession before God, it's not to correct His perception of us. It's to correct our perception of ourselves. To remind ourselves of how God sees us instead of seeing us in light of our mistakes and failures. See, notice in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with truth and action. So what's he saying? He's saying, act like a Christian. Look at your neighbor and say, act like a Christian. Act like a Christian. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. This is how we know. Everybody say, we know. See, God knows you belong to the truth because of your faith and confession in Jesus Christ. He knows that, right? God judges the heart. But how do people know you're a Christian? Because you act like it. They see your fruit. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. Notice, how do you set your heart at rest in His presence? One of the ways you do that is by living right instead of living headed down a path of sin and just staying there and not trying to get out of it, right? But when you, when you recognize I'm on a wrong path and you make a choice to change, that's a difference, right? You're trying. You're, you're, you're working out the process of sanctification in your life. And it says, this is how we know we belong to the truth. Now we set our hearts to rest. If our heart condemn us, knows this, we know that God is greater than our hearts. See, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater. God's ability to forget is greater than your ability to remember. He says, I made a conscious, righteous choice to remember your sins no more when Jesus gave his blood for your sins. Therefore, when you come to me asking for forgiveness, my response is, what sin? What sin? How can God remember what he chose to forget 2,000 years ago unless he's unrighteous? He says, what sin? See, that confession process brings you to a place where you allow him to remind you that he's already forgotten it. And then the great news about that is this. Verse 23 says, dear friends, if our heart condemn us not, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and so today what we find to be true about the communion table is number one we become a new creation because of what Jesus did for us because of that blood that was shed for us he comes to live in us and because of that shed blood for us God has no remembrance of our sin when he looks at you this morning when you partake of this cup he says there is a righteous holy right person consume that meal remind yourself of that Come back to the cross and remember who you are. Thanks for listening to our Grace Family Church podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this message. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, we would love for you to get connected. Just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are, how to give to this ministry, or how you can get involved. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.